This is the Lead Well Podcast. Welcome to the Lead Well Podcast, where we're talking all things leadership, talent, and culture. I'm your host, Missy Darden, and today we are joined by two special guests. The first is Carrie Gregory, who serves on the team member experience team with me, and she oversees Restaurant Culture Tools, which is team member mental health resources, and she'll be leading the discussion today focused on mental health. And our operator special guest today is Tiffany Hassler from I-20 and Little Road FSR and Highway 287 and Sublet FSR in Arlington, Texas. Tiffany, thanks for being here today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for letting me come. Awesome. Well, Carrie, without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to you for the questions. Thanks, Missy. Tiffany, thanks again for being here. Like Missy said, we're really excited to talk to you about mental health. Before we do that, though, I'd love for you to share your Chick-fil-A story. Tell us a little bit about your background. (laughs) Um, This is always a fun game. Um, And how can I always condense it? Um, So my it's it's just a joy to be here. I'm excited you guys are focusing on these things, too. So thank you for making that an important focus for everyone. Um, So my Chick-fil-A story begins at the age of two. Um, my father, uh, joined Chick-fil-A when I was two years old and moved us from Missouri to Arlington, Texas for him to run the Forum 303 Mall, which does not exist today. And that was our journey of beginning in the Chick-fil-A world. Um, about halfway through my college career, um, my dad had some illnesses and stuff like that. And it, and also just kind of where I was in my college career, I needed a place to work. Um, and so I started working again for my dad. And um, that was challenging. That was my first step into leadership and in trying to lead others. Again, I was still on the war path of I will never do Chick-fil-A. So I moved to New York and I stayed in New York for a few months and worked to restaurants up there and enjoyed the city. And then I realized I didn't want to be poor and work 100 hours forever. So um, I got lucky enough to that summer join Project IF in 2006. um, And I was a marketing intern for Chick-fil-A and traveled all around Ohio. That was kind of a game changer for me. I didn't realize now all the invisible strings that were involved in that, but it was major game changer. Um, I finished the Project IF that summer. um, And then my marketing consultant was Peggy Akison through that. And she was, again, a light of good advice and words and kind of found me in a place where I was lost and just didn't know what I wanted to do. And she was so encouraging that summer. I got into the going into the Kansas City, Missouri market to start opening the restaurants there. And so it was it was a great time for me to grow and develop as a person. Um, And so then after that, I decided, okay, so I'm serious about this Chick-fil-A thing. So I pursued um, at that time what was inner manager Then um, in 2009, I got selected to be the operator of Collin Creek Mall in Plano, Texas. And I started there on December 1st of 2009. Um, It ended up being five years just because of different landholds and all the stuff that went into that. Um, It was a hard five years. I will not lie. Low volume mall. I sucked dry. (laughs) Like I can say that. (laughs) Then in 2014, I got to open the Little Road freestanding restaurant. And a few years later, we opened Sublette in 2019. So about five years later, but we applied about three years later. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. What a great um, connection. Lots of history, lots of family connection, which is very much a testament to Chick-fil-A. And I heard through that story too, just the next question that I want to talk about is really just around your passion around mental health. So what does this really mean to you, mental health and well-being? Talk a little bit about that, where this passion really starts for you um, and just the importance of it. 
You know, I think it's hard because I think it's evolved over time as much. And I sometimes I think you get into something because you don't really know what you're wanting to get into. Um, I think that I just I felt like there was this part of ourselves that we often hide um, and we often pretend like it that you can handle it all on your own or it doesn't matter. And I think I just I've had this passion around how do we make it better? How do we talk about it? How do we bring it into the light? Because those are the silent burdens that I feel like we don't talk about enough. And because of that, a lot of people are sadly suffering that don't necessarily need to sit in suffering. And I am very sad and thinking about some of the older generations that maybe people really never said anything. And maybe their neighbor could have given them some wisdom or support through something that maybe they didn't have to carry alone. Um, and, and just as kids, like, I, I don't know, I just, it's always been something on my mind of how do we, how do we make life better? How do we make it have less suffering? And, and even those of us that are doing our very best, our parents are doing their very best. There's still going to be stuff that comes up. No one's going to have a perfect road in which you're never going to have any mental health struggles. Like that's a lie. And so I think that it's just being honest and open about it. And, and I'm lucky to um, have the support of people around me and a partner that really pushes mental health as well. And it's helped me grow consistently in that and not just like push it to the side and be like, oh, sales are important. No, no. Mental health is important. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So when you're talking about the people that you surround yourself with, you've got your support group, you've got your inner circle. Do you feel like when it comes to your team and your team members, talk to us a little bit about like their inner circle. Do you consider yourself a part of that as an operator? Very much so. I'm in their circle. Even before I had my partner, when I was just like myself. Um, and my directors, like it was just myself in the mall. I laugh because I didn't have an office. I had a desk next to the thawing cabinet, which is also right next to the break table that I added in. <laughs> so every day I got the glory of having break with everyone. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, so all 30 of my employees, I knew everything. Uh, but that was just the the great gift for me. It was kind of like filling my bucket of getting to be a camp counselor um, and, and sell chicken and my why, I always tell people, my why of why I'm still here and what I do is influence. End of day, it is influence. Um, there is a rock that is in my um, dresser drawer, like my makeup drawer, and I pull it out every day and it says influence. It was something that Amy Odie made us write years ago. What is your word? Um, and I look at it every day and that is the reason. And so because influence is so important to me, it drives me to have the hard conversations. It drives me to kind of be in it with people and it also drives me to pay attention to things in your team, in your circle, around you or whatever, when you're like, that's off. And rather than just be like, oh, maybe there's having a bad day, like leaning into asking something. So I definitely feel like I'm in there and I am constantly pushing them to like, I don't care what age they are, like get into therapy or um, talk to someone or read this book or let's talk about this or what, are, what are, you know, you like this person as a famous person. Tell me more about why. Um, so we can have some conversations around what is it that this person that you're getting advice from, why? Um, and so my, my first question that I ask on all final interviews, besides like, why do you want to work at Chick-fil-A is what does the word influence mean to you and who do you influence right now? Um, and that is because the word influence can mean a million different things to a million different people. It could even mean influencers. I've heard it all. Um, but I want from the moment they start with me to understand that they will influence people on the team and we want to influence them. So um, that is the power of, yeah, I'm, they're in my circle. Um, I have people who have been with me a long time. 
we are all in each other's business, probably, you know, <laughs> it's just part of it. Uh, but I love it. I love it. I love that part of the family piece of it. For me. And sometimes family can be convoluted and hard because I think that when you it's hard, some people don't understand that family means sometimes we also let people go. But so I don't always use that word because I think that can be hard and some people don't have great family experiences. And so that's it. it's a word I don't use at all, really. But when we talk about who's in your circle, who's who's got your back or who's helping you, like we talk a lot about that stuff. It sounds like your culture is really built off of that, especially with that being a last interview question. It's built off of that influence and that expectation of like, hey, you're going to come in here. You're a part of our circle. Who are you influencing? We're promising and committing to you that we're going to influence you in a really positive way. And that sounds like it just naturally builds this culture for you guys around mental health. And then your leaders feel really influenced by this too to continue that culture around mental health. And just how do you really keep that sustained? Talk to us a little (laughs) bit about your leadership team and what they do to keep this cultivated in your restaurant. Yeah. And it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And I want people to know that because I do feel like as operators, we're like, well, if I start this initiative or if I talk about this, then a year from now, we should be there. It's not true. It is not true at all. Like, I would say I've been an operator 13 years. I would say just in the last two years, do I really feel like this culture of support and like has really taken hold enough that I feel so confident in it. Um, And there's still waverings, but I feel like who we are is care to one another And I feel like that we're finally getting to a place where I feel confident in it more. And I'm not like, okay, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. (laughs) Um, Like I don't have to carry the torch as much anymore, but like it's, it's ingrained in who we are. But I beat myself up a lot during that process. And even at times now, like, are we, are we good enough at this? Are we in like, as operators, we do that. We compare and we beat ourselves up. And I walked in that restaurant. It felt so great. They feel like they cared. Does my team feel like that? And it just, I think that I just want to encourage like operators that, Stay on your path. Stay focused on what you believe in and it will happen. Um, And so that has been our thing is like it started with Brene Brown. We got dove in deep with Brene Brown, um, my director who is in charge of all leadership development while she was getting her master's in leadership development. um, She saw the first like Brene Brown TED talk um, and it like rocked her world. And she like made me sit down and watch it right away. And I knew at that moment that I was like, okay, things are changing. Like, <laughs> things are changing. Um, and so I think that was the that was the course of the journey of going from, hey, how are you doing? To, hey, let's talk about this. And what do you need to do? To, like, how can we support you as you seek other help too? Um, and that we're not the end all be all and I'll help. Like, and also looking at yourself in the middle of that vulnerability. Because vulnerability is so hard. And I get so mad at it. I do every time I get so mad and but it is it is the greatest gift we have as operators is the ability to be vulnerable with our people because in that vulnerability they see humanity and they see what it means to actually care and take care of one another so I just vulnerability is real anytime you have it you're gonna have a vulnerability hangover like just know all of that's gonna happen but it is our greatest gift so basically to go back to my leaders we started doing Brene Brown stuff we started with that um, and then we started talking about therapy. Um, I started doing some therapy. Uh, my my director started doing some therapy. We started talking about that being a, a word that's important um, and not a shameful word. And like, this is like early days, y'all. So we were talking about therapy. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's we're like, real. Just go, dive no, right in. We dive right into <laughs> therapy ideas. And so we talked about that. And so I think um, then as my leaders continued to grow from grand opening to kind of now who are still with me, like it was 
hey, if you're going to continue to grow, not only am I checking in on you a lot, not only are we reading hard books, we read hard books. We have kind of an expectation, too, that you are going to push yourself. And if that means that therapy is the right step for you, no matter what's going on in your life, then that's what you're going to do. Um, and so it's kind of kept that going. So at this point now, I think what's cool is we we I do talk about therapy with every single one of my leaders in some way or another from team leader, which is my first entry level to leadership all the way through executive director. Um, it is talked about. And I'm very honest that I go like I say all of that. So um, it's it's an open forum to discuss it. Um, and then I, what happens from now is like I can talk about how we offer reimbursement. So I offer reimbursement for therapy every month for um, anyone that is a shift leader and above, which is like my second tier, um, $200 a month for if you're a shift leader. If you're a director or executive director, it is $300 a month because if you've gone out there and priced therapy, it's no joke. Um, and good therapy for anyone that's had trauma or anything like that, good therapy is going to run you $150 an hour. So I wanted to make that commitment that I was willing to at least cover one session a month for someone if that's all they could do to really dig into some good therapy. Now, we've found a lot of other outlets and I can talk about how we've we've worked out some deals and we've got like we've made a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're committed to that. And so because it is a topic from the beginning, team leaders now, especially, they'll be like, hey, this team member seems to be struggling with this. They've mentioned it or they've said something in passing. My ears were up they'll go to a shift leader or they'll go to a director. And then that again, like either the shift leader director will point them to the resources we have or will immediately bring it up to me and my executives and we'll go through the process of, okay, what do we need? What resources do we need to lean and ask this person if they want to pursue? And just again, like it's, it's all choice. People choose, but we want to give options and choices that make people feel comfortable and more or not. And I think one of the cool parts about this, too, is I think we've also grown a passion for changing the community to speak on therapy. Um, we're trying to break down those walls and make it normalized in all communities. And that has been a driver in the passion, too, is to break down those walls. But I would, I would say that because it is because of the reimbursement, because we talk about time and because our books talk a lot about different versions <laughs> of working on yourself, it is a very normal topic every day, every day, every day. My leaders talk about it every week with me. Hey, I went to my therapist today. They're like, hey, this, um, this is what I was doing. It's been awesome for that because I know there's another sound voice speaking to them. It's not just a coach. I can get into all of that, but it's like someone is helping them work through the junk. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to carry that for them. Mm-hmm. There's something that you just said, Tiffany. You've thread this statement throughout that I really want to highlight that you've really said, you know, what can I do? What can my leaders do to help team members find resources, give them options? What can I point them to? It's hard. And I don't have a magic bullet. Um, I think if there's anything, it's really we're trying to figure out how do we continue to extend that to the newest team members where they're at. I think part of it comes down to we all talk about operators as caring for our team, and that's important. And like you mentioned, I really focus on the idea of who they are after they leave. Are they different? Because the reality is most of them are not going to be meet with me for a long time, which is great. Like, I, I don't expect to have them forever. Um, <laughs> let's be real. Um, but I, I also want them to leave differently. And I want to set them up that they had some experience with us in Chick-fil-A that somehow opened them to see something that may help further their mental health game as they get older or have something come up or they don't just expect us to be the funnel to save them. 
Um, because we are no longer able to do that, nor should we, nor should we try. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be real. We should not be trying to save anyone. We should be trying to help them grow individually and personally so they know the resources or the places they can start to look in the future if, some, if, they, if, if they need it or, or just consistently. Like, it's not even like if they need it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a big person of we go all the time because we need it all the time. So it doesn't stop. Um, so I think with your, like, your basic brand new team members, it's just that culture of, like, care that everybody tries to have and, like, being consistent about do your leaders know your team? Do they know your team? I can't know them all. And it is, it breaks my heart. I wish I had Tim Tisopolis' ability to remember everyone's name. I'm not even close. <laughs> not even close. Um, I, I wish I knew them all the way I used to. But I don't. But do my leaders know them? So it doesn't fall on me. It falls on me to care for my leaders. It falls on me to do that. But it falls on me to also ask my leaders enough questions to make sure they know my team. So. I think it's learning that you're not going to be able to hold it all. And with as many team members as I have right now, there's no way. But focusing on my leaders and then having the expectation that they are focusing on the team, not just hoping it happens, not just talking about it once a year, not just throwing it out there. Oh, oh yeah, my team knows. No, but like having the expectation that my leaders know my team. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I know that before we talked, you said that you asked your leader some questions around this and about how they feel in the restaurant right now in this culture of just vulnerability and empathy. And I really don't want to miss hearing from them through you. So I'd love for you to share just some of their thoughts and feedback that they had around this culture that you guys have worked so hard to build and maintain. Yeah, so I was trying. So I did. So I love to ask my leaders questions. Um, with the, the question you asked about, like, is there leadership who supports mental health and how do you ensure that mental health is a top priority in our restaurant? And so what they really talked about was like the what my first leaders were said was building trust individually with each team member. Um, like I said, being intentional. They talked a lot about that, um, even down to using scheduling practices like your scheduler should have a really good idea of where people are at mentally. And I know that sounds weird, but who's on your scheduling? Is it someone that just makes sure that you get the right percentage profit wise or is it someone that's attuned to why someone's asking off so much is it someone that's attuned to seeing that things have changed in that person's life like if we really want to succeed as being an influencer look at who's doing your stuff is it just because for your gain or is it to have a better pulse on your team um, and so my schedulers at both restaurant whether front of the house back of the house they're aware of what's happening why people are asking off not to be nosy but just to kind of see, is there something we need to dive into with someone? And they're that first line of defense on some of that stuff, too. So, like, my scheduler was the first one to tell me. She's like, well, I feel like you've helped me see the importance of that, mm. of paying attention to it. Again, I love schedule and I hate schedule. It's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> I think it's the greatest puzzle of all time. And every week it, it regenerates itself. So <laughs> you yep. have to do it. Um, and so I think I've taught my leaders to look at it that way and don't use it as a power play. This is not about power. This is about knowing people's needs that they can serve us best, because that's the reality with this generation, especially the youngest ones. They want to work when they want to work. We all get mad about it. OK, they want to work when they want to work. But the truth is, if we understand that and we use that to the best of our potential, they give us their very best selves when they want to work. So understanding that about their availability, sometimes it's not perfect. It doesn't work out great. But having your rules, stick to your rules. Don't waver on your rules. Stick to your rules. 
make it accessible for people to understand, but then have a scheduler who is also aware and paying attention to what happens and if things change or there's this and that going on, like why? Like asking those questions so that um, another way we stay really connected is all team leaders attend a weekly, we call them growth group, which is them and three, like three team leaders and a shift leader. And that shift leader leads a discussion each week in the growth group, right? The very first book we do is Crucial Conversations. We start right there because, there, and I, you know, I read that all the time and I learn something all the time and I'm like, oh, that hurt. Oh, that hurt again. It is, yes. And I tell them, I, I warn everyone when we go into it, I say, okay, I know we're reading it again. Okay, these are leaders are reading it again. Just remember, whatever is happening, you're going to have a, something happen in your life as you read this book that is going to force you to either have a crucial conversation or ignore it. Remember that I said this to you and don't run from it. I'm trying to equip you for it. So we start right at crucial conversations because that's the essence of building trust. If we as a leadership team cannot have those conversations and it is a work in progress, we are not a model. Operators are not going to come and say like, oh, y'all have the best conversation. No, it is a work in progress. (laughs) Um, But we start right there because that is the essence of building trust and understanding where people are coming from. How do you dialogue? How do you take feedback positively and look at it as a gift? I think as a leader, that was one of the healthiest things is when I saw my leaders be like, I can't wait for your feedback. It's a gift. And like, mean it? Mm. Do you know what that does? Like an operator taking your stress level down of having to do check-ins or having to do annual reviews, it brings it way down. When you know they're not going to be freaking out or defensive, like, but they're ready for it. Like, it opens, it took my anxiety like so far down. So I would just say that our weekly growth groups help us really dig into that tough, small stuff and they can talk about what's happening a little bit in their lives or at the restaurant. So those are like our first key steps that they kind of reminded me about of like our systematic way mm-hmm. um, of approaching that. Um, some of the other questions like I asked is um, we talk about how to proactively monitor team members and how, like what tools um, my executive directors every week when we meet, we do discuss anything that was brought up as people issues in each restaurant's meetings. And like, is there something that we, a resource that needs to be applied or a conversation or something that who and who is tied to it? We use Basecamp. And I even now, if I meet with a leader and I put in their to-do list, if we talk about, hey, I want you to have a conversation or check in with us or something, that's actually a to-do list item that I circle back with and, hey, they have to have said, I had that conversation. So it's not like, hey, I hope you do that. Like, no, no, they're going to have sure. to report on it. So so they said like those behaviors help to really push it. And then if it's something's really out of the norm, it's like case by case basis. Like how do we support that person? They talked about how if someone is not like, say, in the upper tier and they need therapy, how we can come, they come to me and we talk about it and we figure out a case of how to help them get it. Great. Like who and where, what is it going to cost? Can I get them four sessions to get them rolling? Can I then talk to someone that has a sliding scale? If Truett really wanted us to influence and love people well, that means we love people well, even when it doesn't always benefit us. And it is painful and people will hurt you and people will walk away and people that you did life with for years and you had deep, deep conversations will stab you in the back and walk away. And you have to believe that at the end of the day, it meant something. So I just have to like lean into that all the time and go, who is it for? Who is this for? And sometimes 
you know, I'm going to make good choices. Sometimes I'm going to make bad choices. <laughs> it happens, yeah. but I have to be real. So that is a lot of what they talked about is like we do a lot of case-by-case basis and they're paying attention. The last thing that they talked about was twofold. I know my leaders' personalities and I know their personality profiles. That helps me better understand them. I know what, when my twos on the Enneagram, <laughs> who love to give, 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 mm-hmm. feel like I need to come in for my day off. I am very quick to be like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? You're not building that boundary and you're about to be resentful. And so they, it was the funny part. It's like, what I didn't expect, I guess, is that my leaders told me back as they, they said to me, they said, you're very intentional and strict about boundaries with our time off. Mm. And I said, well, tell me more about that. And they said, well, if we're going to come in on our day off to do something, we better be able to explain it. <laughs> We better be able to say why, because the first thing you're going to ask is, what are you doing here? Um, and then they said, you also like another practice that I learned from like Lauren Silch was like flex weekends. So every shift leader, um, every quarter gets a flex weekend where the first week that Friday is their day off. Saturday, I pay them for a vacation day. And then the next week, the Monday is their day off for the next week. So they get a four day weekend with one vacation day every quarter. And I want them to take them. And I want them to do them. Because this job is hard. Mm -hmm. It is hard. It is exhausting. They need that flex weekend. That flex weekend does not mean they can come in and get extra hours. That flex weekend does not. No. I do not allow it. Like flex weekends. Yeah. And so I'm very boundaried about their time off, about days off, about vacation time. Um, I make sure that they put their out of office message up on like base camp as soon as they're going to leave. I'm like, and if they respond, they know I'm going to respond back. I'm like, why are you responding? (laughs) <laughs> Why are you responding? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's hard because you need that response. Um, but I really try to do all I can to protect that um, because I think that's something that I had to learn too is I got burned out really quickly on stuff and I have to practice it. And they see me practice all the time. They see me get to the place where I'm, I'm tired, y'all. I'm yeah. tired. I know that you need me. I know that I need to answer these questions or I know we have this big project coming up. But I really need some days after that because I'm tired of being around you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm honest with and, them. I'm like well, tired of seeing you. And so, to yeah. really like round out our time, I think that the biggest thing here that um, I'm hearing too is you're leading by example and your leaders are being challenged to do the same. Tiffany, I just want to thank you so much for your openness and your vulnerability. And just it's so encouraging to hear. And we really are so grateful for what you're doing for your team members and your leaders and Thank you so, so much for the time and for being here. It has been such a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. And if the, if the thing that I can tell operators the most is it starts with you. Like, if you don't want to acknowledge your own junk, your leaders never will acknowledge theirs. And it's probably the thing that's driving you the most frustrated. So get yourself in therapy first. Um, make that commitment to yourself just so you're not dumping everything on your partner or your wife or your spouse in any way. Like, who are you? Who are you saying? Like, let a therapist listen to you. you pay him to. It's great. <laughs> it's the best thing for that. Um, and then the other part is like, just be attentive to your people. Build your resources before you need them. Find counselors that you know are good that are from a bunch of different places, not just one source. Not just, you know, not everyone wants a church counselor, like find plenty of resources. If that's not your wheelhouse, find someone in your circle or your team who can find those resources for you. And I would even say BetterHelp has been a really big winner for us, too. So I just find those resources. But above all, start with yourself. Put yourself in therapy. Talk through your own junk and the junk that keeps coming up. 
before you ever expect your team to work on their own mental health because it's not going to happen. If you're not doing it and if you're not open and honest about it, they're not going to do it. Well, thank you both so much. Um, I've so enjoyed being a part of this conversation and I echo what Carrie said. Tiffany, thank you for all that you were willing to share and just your care for your team. Um, and thanks, Carrie, for leading the discussion. If you all have any questions about team or mental health resources, you can search at Chick-fil-A for resources available to operators and their team members. And thank you for joining us. And that will do it for today's episode. If you're looking to find, develop, and launch top talent, Leadwell is a resource with articles, videos, podcasts, and all other Chick-fil-A operator and third-party expert curated content. If you have any questions or want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast, let us know at Leadwell at Chick-fil-A.com. I'm Missy Darden, and thank you for listening in to the Lead Well Podcast. Lead Well shares leadership, talent, and culture resources, ideas, and tools from franchised operators and third-party experts to inspire franchised operators and their teams to find, develop, and launch top talent. As independent franchisees, Chick-fil-A operators solely determine the employment, leadership, and management practices in their businesses. 